from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. A time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and this week I've got a very special guest. He is the original co-host of Duncan Dynasty, and of course he was on just a few months ago to talk about The Last Dance, episodes one through four, and uh, now that he has officially graduated with a master's degree from the University of Chicago, he was finally able to finish watching the uh, the, the last few episodes, so we're going to talk about episodes five through ten, but his name is Anthony Brown. Anthony, first off, congratulations on uh, on graduating, and and thanks so much for, for joining us. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. and happy to be here. This is awesome. Well, uh, first off, you know, starting with this, uh, with this episode five, it immediately kicks off with the 1998 All-Star Game where you've got the showdown between the veteran Michael Jordan and the young, confident Kobe Bryant. And uh, they go at it a little bit. And uh, Michael Jordan and, and Kobe both kind of talk about each other, Jordan a lot in the locker room to some of those Eastern Conference teammates. Uh, but uh, yeah, what were your thoughts on on that little interchange? Yeah, uh, honestly, that was one of my f- uh, favorite moments from the Last Dance. Um, you know, uh, not I, I think uh, it would have been one of my favorite moments. Um, you know without even the recent events of, of uh, Kobe's tragic uh, death earlier this year. And I think it was an added amount of just, you know, kind of just sadness watching it, too. Like, a, it's on one hand, it's really cool uh, to get this behind-the-scenes the stuff, and then you're also that, that twinge of, of sadness thinking about him and uh, Gianna. But, um, yeah, like... Michael in the locker room talking about that that little Laker boy, right? <laughs> yeah. Like that that little Laker boy is gonna try and make this a whole one on one competition. Like he's not gonna pass the ball at all. Um, and and Michael, even though like this is potentially Michael's last All Star game, and his entire focus seems to be you know uh, like a second year eighteen year old Kobe Bryant, you know? Yeah. It was it was really interesting to see, and he uh, he at one point is MJ is quoted as saying, "If I was his teammate, I wouldn't pass him the fucking ball. You want this ball again, brother? You better rebound." Uh, but uh, so many so many great quotes that we'll get to in this episode throughout the last dance. But uh, Kobe also had a, a couple of great quotes talking about Jordan and 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 Jordan's influence on him. But you know. In reference to the All-Star game, Kobe says, I grew up watching Michael on TV, and, and now you got a chance to go face-to-face with him. You've got a chance to really see and, like, 
touch and feel, the strength, speed, quickness, and it was really fun to be out there. But, but it is really cool, you know, you talk about sort of the, the passing of the torch that we see in, in, in all sports, uh, but, but getting, getting that from, from Kobe and hearing him talk about that, yeah, it literally was, you know, I was studying him. I was, you know, trying to figure out what makes Jordan such a good player. And, uh, you know, this was his, his first real opportunity to do so. Yeah, um, it, it was, again, just so cool. I've watched that game uh, so many times. I actually, that's one of the, the first, uh, the 1998 All-Star game, that's one of the first NBA games that I, I really have a, a, a good memory of watching. Right. Uh, I yeah. don't remember how old I was, but I, I did watch it live. I have it on a VHS somewhere in the house. Um, <laughs> and I would I would watch that and study that. And it's so cool watching Michael and, and Kobe go at it. They both have really good games. Um, you know, it, it was really cool. One of the, the things and I, I don't know if you were going to uh, talk about this. Another one of the quotes that comes to my mind um, is when Kobe says, uh he, he calls Michael his big brother. Yeah. You know? Um, like, that was... Um, so I know you remember this, too. Um, you know, at the, the funeral, right? Uh, Michael Jordan's eulogy, he gets up there and, you know, he he's talking about Kobe for a, a long time and then he, you know, says, you know, he was like a little brother to me. Um, and I, I, rem- I don't know, what was your reaction when you heard that because I at first I was kind of like really Michael like you were really that close I know you guys played against each other but yeah it was um you know Kobe straight up says it in the in the documentary you started referencing the quote but he he also goes on to mention you know I had a question about shooting his turnaround shot and so I asked him about it and you know he gave me a great detailed answer but on top of that he said if you ever need anything give me a call and uh, he, he also went on to say, you know, there's a lot of people who, who say, like, oh, who would win one-on-one, Kobe or MJ? But Kobe says, you know, I feel like what you get from me is from him. I don't get five championships here without him because he guided me so much and, and gave me so much great advice. So it really did seem to be sort of a mentor-mentee relationship that the two of them had. And you could see it, you know, with... With Kobe talking about Jordan with with such reverence in that documentary, but also just how emotional Michael Jordan got uh, at the at the eulogy you referenced. Exactly. Yeah, and, that, and that's the, the the second part of it. I should mention is that I think my initial reaction, and I and I feel like I read some articles where where people were saying the same thing was like, wait, is Michael just saying this because Kobe died? Like I, I hadn't seen. Like, that was new information to me that they had such a close mentor-mentee relationship. Um, but then to see Kobe say the exact same thing as Michael, I was like, oh, my God, they they were really close. That's so – and it's even more touching to me to then see this on the documentary where he's like, look, I we were really close. I, I'm not the Kobe Bryant you know and love without Michael Jordan's tutelage. Um, that was – that was powerful stuff. Absolutely. And what what sort of uh, emotions or feelings kind of went through you as you saw Kobe on camera, of course, um, 
you know, having having passed away prior to this airing. And also, you know, we, we saw uh, former NBA commissioner David Stern in this documentary, uh, who also passed away this year. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it, it was really interesting to watch Kobe on there. I mean, starting it off, um, you know, with just the in loving memory of, of Kobe Bryant, you know, you're already a little bit emotional. You know, it's just... You, you see Kobe, uh, I, I think the interview was done, um, what, like maybe a year or a few months before his death, right? So fairly recently. Um, and you just see him, he's still just so full of life and like potential, you know? Like there's so many things that he was working on and he was going to do, you know, for Gianna, for his family, for the WNBA. And um, so I think those are the things that kind of come to mind that it's just this you know, it's it's the feeling of like what was he gonna do? But then also that appreciation for, you know, who he was and, and what he was as a player. You know, like this dude is regardless of where you rank him on your top ten, you know, uh, he is one of the best competitors that we've ever seen in the sport. And, you know, even though I early on maybe didn't like him as much because I was too much of a Jordan stand, I, I always respected his game. Um, right and uh, you know over for probably the past like eh, four or five years he's been one of my favorite players um, so that's kind of what came to mind for me and then to see Jordan's reverence for him too just uh, it made it that much more special I think how about you yeah it's um it's it's incredibly it's incredibly sad as you mentioned uh, and and I actually wrote about this for for Rip City Project, that article will be will be coming out in the next couple of days. I did a, a another season rerun piece, the game between the Portland Trailblazers and the Los Angeles Lakers. The the game that was actually the first game the Lakers had played after Kobe's passing. Um, so I so I go into a little bit of my thoughts on on Kobe's death and and sort of the emotions and his career as well. Um, so so keep an eye out for that if you want to hear a little bit more of my thoughts on that. Um, but yeah, it's it's incredibly sad, and um, it uh, yeah it obviously brought up all those emotions from from the day you hear the, that initial heartbreaking news. It, it kind of brings that all back up to the surface seeing him on camera. Uh, but uh, moving on in in later in this episode five, uh, they you know they start with the '98 All Star Game, then it kind of goes into Jordan's sneakers and, and the Air Jordans and how that became like a fashion statement. Uh, a lot of people, including Justin Timberlake, came out and talked about how they waited in lines and, and got the new Jordans every year. And then there was also, this was something I wasn't aware of, but Jordan actually wore his original Jordan sneakers in his final appearance at Madison Square Garden as a Chicago Bull. And uh, he, he lit up the Knicks and he even says in the locker room after the game to Patrick Ewing, I had to go all the way back to 84 to whip y'all ass. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Jordan, the ultimate trash talker. Um, yeah, that's that's one of the, um, you know, those those gems of, of stories that I, I, I did know a, a little bit about and I picked up over the years. Um, they didn't mention it in the docs. So I don't know if, if this part is 100% true. But, uh, yeah, he, he played in those... Uh, original Air Jordans from his, like, the actual shoes, not just the Air Jordan, that type of shoe. He 
had his wife get those Air Jordans from that first game uh, that he played in Madison Square Garden, and he played in those shoes. Now, what I've heard is that he's his feet actually had grown about a size from <laughs> a size up from when he was a rookie. Yeah, and so he's playing the game, and he does mention this in the doc, you know, and they they focus on that pretty heavily. By halftime, his feet are bleeding uh, because the, the for one, the quality of the shoe is so terrible compared to nowadays, but also it's so small. <laughs> right. Um, I, the, the one thing that goes to my mind is like the, the Michael Jordan just must have a ridiculously high pain tolerance, you know, like not just compared to most people, but even compared to NBA players. Cause like your feet are raw and bleeding after like by halftime and you're like, well, I'm having a good game. I don't want to take the shoes off. <laughs> right. But, and, and to be able to still play that well, like, oh my gosh, I just, wow. And it's it's funny to me that you so often see the, the people that are maniacal about their training and their practice regimens and, you know, put so much into being as good as they can possibly be. Those guys often end up being the guys that are the most superstitious that think sneakers are actually impacting their performance. <laughs> Put on a nicer pair of shoes, um, but but no, I I thought that was also interesting too. That you know when you when you think about it, a lot of these older players, you know, when you're watching the the Dr. J's, you know, jumping from the foul line, he's jumping in the old Chuck Taylors, which you know I don't know if you've worn uh, you know Chuck Taylor, Taylors at all recently, but there's not a lot of support in those shoes, you know. <laughs> it is. Um, not very fun to jump around in those. So I, it kind of gave me a little newfound respect for the older ones. And then also for Jordan to be able to light up everybody while wearing those old ones. It's like, you know, the it's got to be the shoes, you know, thing with uh, Spike Lee. Like, it's it's not the shoes. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and I, I, I just love, too, that, you know, Patrick Ewing, even though he was on the decline and by 98, you know, he's still... Uh, because they had had so many battles, it was commonplace that Jordan would would talk shit towards him. And, and, and Patrick Ewing, you could tell he had heard it so much that he, he just kind of shrugged it off. He was used to it at that point. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the other big part of this episode five was they, they got into the Olympics and the Dream Team. Um, and... Uh, the the obvious drama surrounding the whole Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas, um, you know, with the with the Bulls and the Bad Boys. We talked a little bit uh, in the uh, the previous episode we did on the Last Dance on episodes one through four uh, about Isaiah Thomas's sort of rationale for why he um, uh, why the 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 Pistons kind of just uh, didn't shake the Bulls' hands when they lost to to Chicago in '91. And that kind of, uh, you know, added fuel to this uh, sort of resentment that uh, that Jordan had for for Isaiah and the Pistons as a whole. Uh, but but yeah, what were your takeaways with 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 uh, that whole exchange and hearing Isaiah and and Jordan kind of speak to why uh, Zeke was not on the Olympic team? Yeah, it's it's always really interesting. You know, thinking about that because if, if we're going by 
not just talent, right? Isaiah Thomas is, depending on, on your list, I, I think I have him at number three point guard all time behind uh, Magic Johnson and Oscar Robertson, right? But he, like, without a doubt, he's one of the best point guards of all time, athleticism-wise and skill-wise. But accolade-wise, he'd just come off of uh, a back-to-back you know, championships with the Detroit Pistons I think he deserved to be on that team for that reason. Uh, so it's it's a pretty glaring omission to not have him on there. It was, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, so when Jordan, um, you know, they they try to, they're, they're handing the iPad to Michael because one of the best things about this documentary uh, is, you know, having him react to the other people in the documentary. Right. Uh, and just, just getting to see Michael's reactions live, that that authenticity. And they're like, do you want to see what Isaiah said? And he's like, uh, like he, well, he's had time to think about it now, right? You know, paraphrasing, he was just like, oh, I'm not going to believe anything that he says now. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> um, he's had time to think about it. There's been the public back, backlash. But I'm pretty sure he says something like, there's nothing that you can show me or tell me to convince me that he's not an asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can tell, like, that that runs deep to this day. Um, and he does say that he respects uh, Isaiah. I think he said he has him as the second best point guard of all time, but just personally, he still does not like him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, to the people that were arguing, you know, you mentioned Isaiah had had come off winning two championships. Their second championship came in 90, and, and this Olympic team was formed in, in 92, so the, the Pistons had, had not been champions for a couple of years at this point. But, you know, you talk about players that were on this team, like a, a Magic Johnson, who was actually retired at this stage, and also a Larry Bird, who really hadn't been at his peak since probably 1988, even. Um, so, you know, it was... Uh, as much as it was, and, and there were players that were in their prime, including Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley, there was certainly guys on that roster there specifically because of what they had accomplished in the past. Right. Yeah, so um, an, another interesting thing about the uh, the Olympic stuff was that they, they showed a little bit of footage from that infamous scrimmage that took place. And uh, there was there was a great exchange uh, with with Magic Johnson on the documentary, and uh, Magic says, uh, and I quote, "We're up eight points, I think it was something like that." And I went over and tapped him in reference to Michael Jordan, and I said, "Look, man, if you don't turn into Air Jordan, we gonna blow you out." And uh, Magic then, you know, speaking to the camera, man, what did I say that for? <laughs> And uh, he broke the huddle, hit a three, bam. Came back down, hit another three, bam. Came through the middle and just shook everybody, bam. Before we know it, they was up two. <laughs> That's uh, incredible. I, I really wish that the NBA would release the footage of that entire scrimmage uh, because... It seems like every person involved in that scrimmage refers to that as the greatest basketball game they've ever been a part of. Right. You know? um, just, you, you think about it, you have two of the top three power forwards of all time. You've got 
Magic Johnson, you know, again, not quite in his prime, but, you know, he didn't retire because his skills were starting to, to fade. He, he retired because of, of health issues related to, to HIV, right? Um, right. So dude's still pretty dominant. Um, Michael and Charles, I mean, it's just the amount of talent on that team would just be so incredible to watch. Absolutely, um, and there there was some more great, great trash talk from MJ to Magic as as uh, as Magic's team started to to get down on the scoreboard. He started complaining about the fi- officiating, which uh, that's a first uh, I'm hearing as a guy complaining about officiating in a scrimmage. Uh, but uh, Magic says all they did was move the Bulls stadium right here. That's all they did, and uh, MJ responds with just the simple. This is the 90s. <laughs> and Magic goes, I don't care if it's the 90s or not. What's that supposed to mean? And MJ just responds simply again, this is the 90s. Uh, it's two legendary trash talkers. Like, I mean, you know, that was kind of, if, if the torch had not already been passed, you know, if, within the 80s or with the 91 finals, it was... It was 100% snatched away and like, like, you know, this is mine. I am the best player potentially ever, right? Yeah. Um, and I feel like that was the scrimmage where maybe Magic finally recognized that and realized that fully, you know what I mean? Of like, holy crap, like, he just beat all of us and this is like an all-world team. And he's several steps above us right now. Like, holy crap. And even just in competitiveness. They talk about him throughout the whole Olympics where, you know, they're uh, him, Magic, Charles, Larry, uh, maybe somebody else are up pretty much every night playing cards, you know. Uh, And these are all, like, incredibly competitive people. And Jordan just wouldn't, (laughs) just didn't sleep much. You know, like, he just is on the go all the time. He's playing golf, and then he's doing this, and then he's doing this. And, you know, as, as long as there's competition going, he's 100% locked in. I just, I think that's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, the, um, they, uh, they go in, in in episodes five, and then, you know, moving on towards episode six, they, they go through his, um, his, his second championship where the Bulls, uh, defeat the, the Portland Trailblazers in, in 1992. They, they, they go through the Dream Team. They talk about even the, the 1993 series between the Bulls and the Knicks and, and the feud that was going on there. Of course, uh, um, the Knicks team with the likes of, of Patrick Ewing, John Starks, uh, Xavier McDaniels, two teams that really, uh, really despised each other and were the definition of, uh, of, of sporting rivals. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was kind of a, a Bad Boy Pistons 2.0, you know? Uh, right. In, that, in, in just the intensity and the strength, but, like, their size, right? That was a huge team. Yeah. Um, you had Anthony Mason as well, which is, uh, he might be the most chiseled basketball player I have ever seen. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The, the other interesting thing going on during that 1993 Eastern Conference Finals was the, you know, the, this is where the gambling addiction sort of allegations arise. 
and you know the um, Ahmad Rashad goes on at one point and talks about an interview that Michael Jordan had, and uh, Jordan goes on camera in an indoor interview with sunglasses on. <laughs> and, uh, he, and Ahmad Rashad's just like, take the sunglasses off, man. What, what are you doing? And it is funny to see, you know, obviously we've had, um, we've had in, in the, the more modern NBA, we've had players with, with some PR issues. And of course it's, it's even more, uh, important to, to, uh, get your, get your, uh, image right in, in today's day and age with social media and everything. But, you talk about even Jordan back in the day. There, there are times when uh, these athletes kind of make some poor decisions. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's kind of interesting to think about how maybe Jordan would have done in this this social media era. Um, you know, where it's <laughs> Jordan. If we're talking about media scrutiny. I feel like Jordan is one of the most scrutinized uh, and looked at athletes of all time. Right. right. So it's hard to think of somebody who's been looked at more, um, and yet he also didn't have have to have a Twitter presence, right? So it's you know I don't know. It's kind of interesting that sunglasses maybe may not have been a, <laughs> the best look. Right. Um, they they uh, obviously the Bulls they come back from down two zero in that uh, in that Knicks series and, and come back and win. And then they uh, they get to the the 1993 finals and take on Charles Barkley and uh, and the Phoenix Suns and there was some some pretty good stuff uh, in in this segment of the show you know Michael Jordan after the Bulls lost Game Five and and had to head back to Phoenix and and Game Six and a potential Game Seven would be in Phoenix uh, Jordan says to his teammates you know everybody's dreading getting on the plane and, and going back to Phoenix. So I just say, look, man, I don't know about you guys. I'm only packing one suit. But we're going back to win one game. I'm not going there to play two games. But, you know, it just goes to show you that kind of mentality that he had that, um, you know, can sort of permeate through the, the rest of the roster. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we'll, I'm sure we're going to continue to talk about that, too, with Jordan's leadership style because, you know, it may not – have been for everyone but um yeah that that confidence to just be like look guys we're winning this can definitely help everybody else be like okay well he's locked in he's ready to go you know what i'm I'm gonna follow him right um yeah he uh and and of course the bulls end up end up winning game six on a on a john paxson three in the closing seconds and it was it was funny. I, I listened to a, a low post podcast where Danny Ainge was the guest, and he was talking about you know that series and in particular that that sequence at the end where uh, the the Suns kind of double Jordan. He passes it to Pippen, who gets it to Horace Grant, who th- turns around and, and throws it to to Paxson, who who drills the three. Uh, but but Ainge Ainge said that he was one of the guys on the bench telling everybody. No threes, no threes, we're up two. Uh, but, uh, you know, in that situation, in the heat of the moment, he went with his instinct and, and doubled Horace Grant, and, and he couldn't believe uh, even, you know, some some uh, 27 years later, he still can't believe Horace Grant made that pass. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's, it's interesting. Like, that pass, he, he catches it, and it looks like, He's got room to go for a layup, but it would have been contested. 
and he just touch pass, like, gets it and just throws it out immediately, um, like, behind him to John Patson. Um, yeah, that's that's tough. That's a, that's a big mistake to double team there. Um, man. Yeah, it's um, it's it's one of those things too where, you know, you see guys help off of a good shooter or something, and and sometimes it's a brilliant play when you can recognize okay the the guy with the ball has blinders on right, and he's just gonna shoot it or go up no matter what. So I can help even though I'm leaving a guy that's dangerous, and I'm sure that's kind of what he's thinking. You know, Horace Grant doesn't have eyes in the back of his head. You know, like. But uh, just a yeah, just a brilliant play, a brilliant um, you know sort of floor recognition from Grant on that one. Uh, but uh, yeah, Charles also you know at the conclusion of the series, uh, you know Charles was quoted at talking to the camera in the documentary saying, "I have no problem losing to Michael. Losing to Michael, there's there's no shame in that. Sports are are like a gunfight, and and we lost to the fastest gun." <laughs> what a good quote, jeez. <laughs> Good job, Charles. <laughs> the um, the the show then, you know, obviously with with after the the ninety nine the nineteen ninety three season, Jordan retires and and goes and plays baseball. And the show actually, um, you know, went pretty in depth uh, with uh, with his excursions in a different sport. And we can we can talk about that if you'd like. But I also enjoyed the bit about uh, the the ninety four Bulls team and how. They were uh, they were still really effective mid 50s in terms of, of games won, and and Steve Kerr kind of talking about the difference between having MJ as the as the leader and Pippen, you know he says MJ would just bludgeon everyone around him, and and Scotty was the much softer touch. You know he was the guy who would who would sort of comfort you when things weren't going well and and put his arm around you and say you know hang in there you'll be all right. Um, but I, I love that quote, and I think it's it's it, it shows you why that Bulls team was able to have the kind of success they had is because, you know, you had the the bad guy, the guy that would push you, the guy that would get on you in Jordan. You had another superstar in Pippen, who, as as Kerr said, was the softer touch, was was willing to sort of lift you up and encourage you, and then you had Phil Jackson, who you know, as a coach was uh you know an expert in terms of getting you to relax in pressure situations and and uh you know also recognizing when a guy like Dennis Rodman needs to take a vacation in the middle of a season and being okay with it right um yeah it's uh it's it's a really interesting I was gonna say clash but it's not a class it's it's a really great melding of of leadership styles that I think is needed you know you need all of those things um yeah, Scotty. Scotty in that year, I who won the MVP that year in '94? Was that Elijah one? Yes, '94 was Elijah one. Okay, yeah, it was. I'm pretty sure Pippen gets like second in the MVP voting, like second or third. And I, I don't know about you. I'm interested to hear your thoughts, but I've read some stuff uh, suggesting that maybe Scotty should have won the MVP that year. In terms of leading that team to you know fifty something wins without Jordan, um, and you know leading the Bulls, I think in all five statistical categories, um, major statistical categories. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean he, I think he finished in the top three uh, that season. Um, 
But yeah, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon, as he showed in the playoffs and, and through to a championship, I think he was he was deserving there. Um, but uh, but certainly but certainly Scotty had a terrific season. Yeah, to take that supporting cast, I you know I I think people will say, oh, without Jordan, Scotty didn't have much help. But that team still had the likes of um, you know Horace Grant. Right. It also had like a, a weird collection of the the first team three peat and and some of the guys that would be there for the second three peat. You know, you still had the likes of uh, of Cartwright and B.J. Armstrong, and uh, but you also had brought in the likes of Longley and and Ku Coach and Kerr. So um, you know that was a pretty solid all around team. And as Scotty said on on the show, you know it was a matter of. Uh, winning by committee. Winning by committee, and then also like, you know, I think the guy, uh, the, you know, the interviewer asked him like, how did, how was it, like, how did the team do without Michael? And like, I think they did really well. I think they were really happy to not be yelled at every day. <laughs> Just <laughs> right. go out and have fun. Yep. Um, and and also that you know I think it was Kerr that mentioned we still had the. We still had sort of the momentum, and the we were riding the high of the previous championship. You know, there's something about that championship swagger that helps a team. Uh, we've seen that with the uh, with the Toronto Raptors this season after they lost Kawhi. You know, they still have that championship swagger, and they've still had a terrific season despite losing their best player. Um, but uh, yeah, did you have any thoughts on the on the uh, the baseball? hiatus that Jordan took one I guess one fact that I thought was fascinating and that I, I wasn't aware of was the the reason he ended up playing double a and not starting in single a was because of the audience capacity they needed to be in a bigger stadium to fulfill the demand of people wanting to see Michael Jordan yeah I I had not heard that before that was fascinating to hear and it makes more sense to be honest like because Jordan hadn't played since high school like since maybe like his sophomore or junior year i think so like i think it was sophomore so like to go from not playing and he was good at baseball at that age but go from not playing since you were 16 to double a immediately like that's that's a huge jump um i i don't know i am you know i'm definitely a big michael jordan fan i don't knock him as much as other people do with the baseball thing you know, I, I, he was going through a really tough time with, um, you know, the, the death, the murder of his uh, father, um, which that's actually something that they went a little more in depth with and told me stuff I didn't actually know about that situation before seeing the documentary. But with the, the baseball thing, like, he he actually started out with, uh, was like a 13-game hitting streak. <laughs> right. Um, which is not something I've ever, you know, heard before. But obviously once teams caught on and start throwing that curveball, you know, that's all they're going to throw, right? If you've got a weakness, they're going to exploit that every time, so. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, it was it was fun to see that ter- Terry Francona, the current manager of the, the Cleveland Indians, hopefully they're not the Indians for, for much longer, uh, right. but uh, it, was, it was fun to see, you know, uh, an actual baseball, not that I don't follow baseball much anymore, but to, to actually see the, a, a baseball manager that I'm aware of was actually the, the manager for Jordan was, was interesting as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it was, I think it was very important for people to sort of understand Jordan's mindset and, and why he walked away when he did. 
uh, and and yeah, they they did go really in depth with with his dad's unfortunate death and uh, and and the fact that he was on the side of the road apparently taking a nap as well when it happened. It's just you know obviously it it's tragic regardless of the circumstances, but maybe even more so with that with that information. Yeah, um, and it's. It's interesting that, like, you know, my, my mom and dad lived through that in that, like, they, they remember watching that on the news. And even they didn't really know that it, um, it, it took so long to find uh, Michael's dad after, um, you know, after he was murdered. Like, at first it was that he, he had disappeared and they didn't know where he was at, um, you know, and I think they just found the car. <laughs> Um, and so, like, this weeks-long investigation, that just sounds incredibly traumatic and, and super sad. <laughs> you know, uh, can't find the right words to, to talk about how tough that must have been. One of the things that I do want to say really quick that was interesting, I saw a, a video clip of Michael Jordan on Oprah um, shortly after that, where Oprah, I think, is trying to get him to uh, sign on to confront uh his dad's killers on live tv it's like you know oh. you keep talking about, yeah uh, it's interesting it's like oprah's like you keep talking about you know your dad passing and i think he was murdered right he was murdered and you know there's sometimes where i i just want to you know confront and and you know talk to those and you know uh those guys for what they did to your father don't you ever want to do that and michael's like no i don't um, and I think this shows the, the mentality of Michael and part of why um, part of why he was able to get to the status that he was, that his, his whole thing as a person is taking a negative and turning it into a positive and just like, you know, for better or worse, refusing to look at a bad situation in a negative light. Um, his response was like, you know, regardless of what happened to my dad, he's not here anymore. Um, it would make me more sad to, to really know their reasoning for doing that. And I want to think about the good times with my dad. You know, I right. want to look at the positives of the situation. At least I got to have him for as many years as I had. And I learned those lessons. And I'm going to try and keep doing that, you know, going forward as, as a dad myself. Um, which I thought was kind of powerful. Absolutely. The show sh uh, also showcased the relationship he ended up having with, I forget the guy's name, but it was a security guard that ended up being kind of a, um, a new father sort of figure for him. But that was, that was touching as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, he always, uh, as great as Jordan was and as, uh, you know, as everyone in the world seems to look up to him and admire him, it, it goes to show you that even those types of people, they still need someone to kind of feel like, they can look up to and and they can learn from uh, but uh, yeah that was um that was really powerful stuff uh, i i wanted to get your take you know um you you mentioned before we started recording that episode 7 was one of your one of your favorite episodes uh, and the episode ends with uh, with a quote from michael jordan and uh, i'm just going to read the quote real quick and uh you know the the question i guess asked of him was essentially do you feel like um, this competitive nature that you had kind of prevented you from being perceived as a quote-unquote nice guy? And uh, Jordan's response 
winning has a price, and leadership has a price. So I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenged people when they didn't want to be challenged. And I earned that right because my teammates came after me. They didn't endure all the things I endured. Once you join the team, you live at a certain standard that I play the game. And I wasn't going to take anything less. Now, if it means that I had to go in there and get in your ass a little bit, then I did that. You ask all my teammates, the one thing about Michael Jordan was, he never asked me to do anything that he didn't fucking do. When people see this, they're going to say, well, he wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. Oh, well, that's you. Because you never won anything. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win and be a part of that as well. Look, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. Break. So, <laughs> that was the quote, and, uh, you know, I heard from, from numerous people that that, to them, was was sort of the, the highlight of the entire series, the peak of the show, but what say you? 100%. That is, that quote, that moment is uh, the reason that that's my favorite episode, and the whole series kind of builds to that. Um, I've, you know, I've been a fan of Michael Jordan most of my life. I've watched all of the, uh, the, the documentaries that I could get my hands on. I would watch on the way to uh, basketball games sometimes. We had this little portable uh, TV with a VCR, a very tiny little thing that you could plug into the, um, the uh, cigarette charger. So I would actually watch, <laughs> before YouTube, I would actually watch clips and, and like highlight videos of Michael Jordan on the way to games, right? <laughs> yeah. A little bit obsessed. Um, <laughs> I have never seen that sort of emotion from Michael, ever. Right? Um, and it, it was so... He's right in so many ways that it's like, you know, he never asked anybody to do anything he wasn't willing to do. This guy was the hardest worker and the most competitive on his team. But I, I also found it interesting how, like, there seems to be that, that struggle within him, right? That as, as much as we try to paint him as this, like, I've heard him described as like a sociopathic competitor, right? Um, he's a person at the end of the day. And, and I think he's reacting in a way that it's like, I think he, he feels hurt and understands that conflict of like, what I, I do want to be a nice guy. I do, I, I do have a softer side too, but I have this, as he put it, a competitive problem, right? Like I can't, you know, I can't shut that off. So it's like, you know, I want to be a nice guy, but you know, and I know that this is going to hurt my, um, maybe legacy or my image to a certain extent, me saying this, but, you know, if you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. Um, right. What were, what were your thoughts with that? Because I, I almost got chills when he said break and then walks off the set. Yeah, I mean, I um, I liked the, the content of what he was saying. I guess um, I, I found out later that that actually was a significantly longer quote that was cut down for the purposes of fitting into the episode's timeline. Oh, really? um, but 
the way it was edited to me just didn't quite hit me in the in the emotional department uh, like like it, it did for you but but I certainly I certainly appreciated him saying that and it did especially for people that don't understand um, that sort of maniacal competitiveness I think it does sort of paint a picture of uh, you know what it takes and, and and sort of why people would would go down that path yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, and maybe, maybe I'm projecting or maybe I'm connecting with it a little bit more in that, you know, I... No, I mean, I think you're in the majority. I think most people okay. felt like, uh, yeah, thought that was incredibly powerful. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I think I'm in the minority there, so... Yeah. No, yeah, I just, I, I was going to say that I, you know, I think that's a struggle that I've had as a competitor when I was growing up. You know, uh, there, there were times where I'm, you know, it's it's kind of weird to say, but, you know, I was pretty good at a certain age, right? Up through, like, middle school, I was I was very good. And there were, there were times where the entire team in drills would kind of gang up to try and stop me from winning the drills, right? And I remember um, times where people are, like, cheering, you know, just because somebody else made a basket and I didn't, I didn't block the shot every time, right? <laughs> Um, but that was really hard for me. And again, nowhere am I compared to, to Jordan with this, but it was really hard for me to not be perceived as a, a nice or a good person, but also wanting to dominate and wanting to win. Right. And he took that to as far as he could possibly take that. He was the best in the world, maybe ever at this thing. Um, I don't know. Is that something you ever felt as a as a player, as a competitor, or were you were you fine with people not liking you as long as you got the win at the end of the day? Yeah, I guess um, you know, for me, and, and part of it was that I was incredibly I was an, an incredibly shy high school basketball player. Uh, yeah. So so my competitive nature really didn't extend beyond just myself. Um, okay. You know, internally, yes, I was doing everything it took to win and, and uh, you know, playing as hard as I could and, and extremely happy when I won and extremely, you know, pissed off when I lost. But I, I, I wasn't as, uh, I guess it was more just a matter of uh, I wasn't as outgoing and courageous to, to yell at other people to sort of get on my level, if that makes any sense. Right, and I, I definitely wasn't as verbal. Uh, I, I think that was maybe part of it too, is that I was this maybe more of a kawaii, like quiet guy who would go out and, you know, go, you know, go hard at my teammates in practice. Jordan has talked about it's like he's going to, at people in practice like it's the NBA finals. Yeah. You know? And it's just like a Tuesday. <laughs> um, and, you know, people are going to react to that certain ways and you're either going to get on board or not. And, and yeah, I, I, it was it was a powerful moment, I think, but it also I'm I'm interested in hearing the full quote, quote maybe some other time as well if, if you do have it, um, you know, to get that context. Yeah, I mean that that's something we'll we'll talk a little bit at the end about uh, what we would have liked to have seen that maybe the the show excluded, but I could have easily seen this uh, as like even. 12 or even 15 episodes. I mean, there's there's so much content that they that they didn't include that uh, it, it's pretty crazy. But but yeah, I um, 
typically, like, especially if a guy's tearing up and breaking down, I want to see everything that led up to that as opposed to an edited down version. But, um, you know, again, uh, they, uh, they wanted to get it into 10 episodes and, and sometimes you gotta, you gotta make some difficult cuts when you, when you set those sort of guidelines. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, um, the, after that episode seven, moving into episode eight, they're kind of going into the 1998 playoffs and, and you see their, uh, some of their uh, second round series against the Hornets and, and BJ Armstrong has this great game too where he uh, he hits the essentially the the clinching jump shot and, and then exclaims at the Bulls bench and at Michael Jordan and uh, Michael Jordan's response uh, was was so good and and uh, I was talking with a, a friend who who isn't as into sports, but but still enjoyed this this series, and he basically described Michael Jordan as an anime villain. Which, um, <laughs> oh, that's awesome! An anime villain in real life. Um, but uh, he MJ's quote says, "I felt like BJ should know better. If you're gonna high five, talk trash. Now I had a bone to pick with you." I'm supposed to kill this guy. You know, I'm supposed to dominate this guy. And from that point on, I did. <laughs> from that point on, I did. I loved uh, when he was describing that earlier, too. Michael, he, he said something as like, he should know better than that, you know. Because our mentality is to, if you do this, we're going to come back even harder. And I was like, why are you saying we? I think this is your mentality. <laughs> like, um. Yeah, oh my god. I didn't know about that, actually. Um, I think this is um, too early for me to like have watched or, or remembered watching with the B.J. Armstrong moment there, but that was, that was really cool for me to see as someone who watched B.J. through his whole time, you know, going back, um, you know, going back on YouTube and watching B.J., playing with Michael Jordan, to see him have that moment against the Bulls, against Phil Jackson, I thought was really cool. Yes, it was. And and, and that Hornets team as well, I thought was, was kind of a, a fun team, of course, led by uh, Glenn Rice. But uh, they had a, they had an interesting group of players there, but uh, obviously didn't uh, didn't stand a chance against the uh, uh, the dynasty that was the, uh, the Chicago Bulls. But yeah. uh, speaking of, uh, of Jordan being a, an anime villain, uh, David Aldridge had another uh, another story, the Will Bradford Smith story, where um, MJ essentially goes up against uh, the Wizards and Will Bradford Smith. They played the same position. Smith was a young player, and and they you know everyone was saying you know Smith just had a, a game for the ages, had a career night, scored thirty seven on the Bulls and and Jordan. The Bulls still won the game, but of course MJ's got to be pissed because. His uh, his direct competitor, uh, you know, had a had a good game, so so Jordan then um, says to the reporters or whatever that that Smith went up to him, slapped him and said, "Nice game, Mike." And then circumstances were were pretty convenient for Jordan because the the teams played a back to back, and uh, the the Bulls were playing the Wizards the very next game in Washington. And Jordan had 36 in the first half, um, but what's what uh, what makes the story is the fact that 
that uh, Jordan later admitted that uh, Smith never said nice game, Mike. He made it all up just to motivate himself to uh, to uh, annihilate the, the young guard for, for Washington. Right, just a you know, random player from, from the Bullets, and he's like, I need to kill this guy. Um, yeah, like, that. now that is a level of competitiveness that I cannot relate to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever made up something about somebody in order to get me more revved up to beat them. Um, wow. Bradford Smith game. <laughs> I, I wanted to also say what's interesting to me is, you know, a game for the ages for him, he did have a great game, but, you know, if 37's a game for the ages and Jordan, for his career, averaged 30, and I think before the Wizards averaged, like, 33 a game. So, like, I, I don't know. That just, that stood out to me in terms of, like, the I guess the dominance of Jordan's scoring in that department. Yeah, Jordan was uh, was pretty good. I think uh, if if there's any takeaway that you can have from the Last Dance, it was that Michael Jordan was was pretty good at basketball. Um, <laughs> he, he knew how to play basketball. That <laughs> should not be a controversial statement. The other thing that was fascinating to me was the whole Space Jam tie-in. Now, I mean, they they didn't even show talk much about his, his acting or or the movie itself. I mean, it's not a very good movie, but uh, the the um, the the fact that they, uh, you know, had set up, Jordan asked for um, them to, to basically set up a court for him so that he could practice and, and train and, and, and stay in shape and, and, and the like. And that they actually had pickup games at the Space Jam set with a bunch of, uh, with Jordan and a bunch of young NBA stars. And, and uh, you know, guys like Reggie Miller are, are talking to this day about uh, how fun and and competitive those games were. That would be, I think, second on my list of like pickup games that I would love to see. Like, right. this would be the, uh, that Dream Team scrimmage, or really all of those scrimmage from '92, and then second would be all of these scrimmages, pickup games from uh, just in the Jordan Dome as they. <laughs> I wonder if uh, I wonder if Space Jam ever comes out with a Blu-ray. That'll be a part of the bonus bonus features. So, like, they really, they should have been just filming that, you know? Right. (laughs) It'd be much better than Space Jam. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, the, uh, the next big, like, you know, of course, when when we were talking the the first time about episodes one through four, they kind of had a a guideline of, okay, this episode's going to be about Michael Jordan, this episode's going to be about Scotty, this is going to be about Dennis Rodman, this is going to be about Phil Jackson, and, you know, through episodes like five through uh, seven or eight, they kind of went away from that. But then they did a nice little tie-in with Steve Kerr talking about Steve Kerr's family tragedy where he also lost his father. So obviously there's that sort of um, connection, even though Kerr said that, you know, Jordan didn't really want to talk about that. But that was something, you know, that, that they had in common. They both had experienced tragedy and, and lost their fathers at, at far too young of an age. But but then also, the uh, the the altercation at the practice. This is this is uh, something that's been talked about for forever. But that you know Jordan straight up punched Steve Kerr and and Kerr fought back. And uh, it was it was fun to see that you know essentially that was where 
despite the fact that you would think that someone punching another guy in the face would kind of end relationships, it actually kind of, uh, you know, helped grow that one. Yeah, that's, uh, it was really nice to hear the explanation from everybody involved of what happened, because I always wondered, like, did Michael Jordan just turn around and punch a guy, like, at random? Like, how does that happen? Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting to hear the lead-up of, like, Jordan, it sounds like, was trying to, he's trying to push the new guys and make it like, look, you gotta earn your stripes here. And he's mad at Phil Jackson for calling these ticky-tack fouls. And so he's like, well, that's a foul. And he hits, you know, like pushes like Steve or something. Steve hits him, and then he punches him in the eye. Um, <laughs> you, yeah, for anybody else, that is, I'm never talking to that person again. And somehow they were able to come together, which I just, I think, speaks to the, the solidarity of their team and how strong that bond was. Um that was Steve Kerr for me was like kind of a star of this uh, documentary, and I wasn't really expecting that. You know what I mean? Um, like he was one of the more interesting characters. I didn't know that about his dad. Um, and as we're going to talk about uh, later on, like you see that kind of that payoff with Steve in, in uh, one of the finals games. Right, uh, and you know, of course, Steve has been successful just about at, at anything that he's uh, he's done. He was a successful basketball player. He's, he was a successful color guy. I mean, I think he's the last uh, good color commentator we've had on TNT. <laughs> um, uh, I guess I should say Stan Van Gundy's pretty good, but he, he only shows up uh, occasionally. But, yeah, there hasn't been too many good color commentators since Steve Kerr uh, went into general management, and, and he was good as a manager, and then he's been uh, obviously fantastic as a head coach. So, so yeah, not surprising at all to see that that uh, uh, that uh, he was he was a star of at least an episode on the on the show. But uh, you know the the um, another part in in that Kerr episode they they get into the '96 finals, and uh, of course the matchup between the the Bulls and the the SuperSonics, and and that was a series where the Bulls went up three to three to nothing, and then. Uh, there was that strategic change by George Carl and Seattle putting Gary Payton on Jordan. The Sonics then won the next couple of games before falling in in six. Uh, but uh, Gary Payton actually, uh, I've got a quote here where he's talking about that that change, and, and he says, you know, a lot of people back down to Mike. I didn't. I made it a point. I, I said, just tire him out. Tire the fuck out of him. You just got to tire him out. And I kept hitting him and banging him and hitting him and banging him. It took a toll on Mike. It took a toll. And then Phil rested him a little bit. And then the series changed. And I wish I could have did it earlier. I don't know if the outcome would have been different. But it was a difference with and, and beating him down a little bit. And and of course, you know, as you mentioned earlier, they're, they're often the, the directors of the show were, were giving Jordan a tablet and, and playing uh, quotes from, from other players and coaches and, and stuff. And uh, Jordan just starts laughing hysterically as as Gary Payton is talking about this. And uh, Jordan then says, The glove? I had no problem with the glove. I had no problem with Gary Payton. I had a lot of other things on my mind. And, and uh, the thing on his mind that he was referencing was actually the day of Game 6 was... Uh, was actually Father's Day, and, and Jordan clinches the championship on Father's Day, and his, uh, you know, there's that famous shot of him 
uh, on the floor crying over, uh, you know, holding the, the uh, Larry O'Brien trophy. Um, but uh, here's, here's a, uh, a bit of um, conspiracy theory talk here of, uh, I wonder if, if, if Michael Jordan intentionally lost games four and five so that he could win it on that special occasion. I like how you're taking that seriously. <laughs> that's, no, that's, I'm just like, I've never heard that. I've heard a lot of conspiracy theories with Michael. I've never heard. Yeah, you know, Michael threw two games of the NBA Finals just to win it on. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, wow. No, um, I, I, what I will say is um, another really powerful moment and shocking moment for me was the audio from after the game. I've, I've seen so many times that, that picture of Jordan, you know, crying on the floor of the, the locker room. Um, but they play for like, I don't know, 15 seconds, maybe the audio of him just sobbing uncontrollably. Yeah. And it's, it's like painful. Like, you, you feel that pain that he's going through, and it's just like, oh my gosh, like, wow. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, you, you sort of take for granted a lot of times, like, when you've got gifts uh, like that that are, that are prevalent on the internet, you sort of take for granted that you're, you're getting the whole picture, but, but yeah, having that audio certainly, certainly makes it a lot more sobering. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, uh... The other thing that was uh, that was great and uh, enlightening about this series was we finally know for certain that it wasn't the flu. It was actually food poisoning, and uh, it uh, you know I had heard. I mean, obviously, uh, him eating a bad pizza that was rumored. That was out there, um, yeah. but but obviously it hadn't been confirmed until this documentary, uh, and and. It's shocking to me the the stuff that goes on prior to him consuming the pizza where you've got, you find a pizza place, you know, the only pizza place that's open at, I think they said it was, you know, midnight. Um, and they, they order the pizza and, and I'm not sure if they, when they ordered it, they said, hey, could I get a, a, a large pizza for Michael Jordan, please? Um, but it seems like that's had to have, had to have been what happened because four or five guys came delivering the pizza and they all were looking in the hotel room as if they knew Michael was in there. But yeah, my question is like, how did they figure that out? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a good question. I, my assumption and what I've kind of heard with, with folks on that level of fame is that, you know, and this maybe sounds like a cop out, but like people find out like, I don't know if the guy at the desk is like, hey, like, dude, Michael Jordan's here. Yeah, he's here. Like, so I don't know if, if somebody at the pizza place knew that or whatever. Um, but that's what I've heard is that the, the talk spreads pretty quickly if somebody of Michael Jordan's status is in your really small suburb or whatever. Uh, but I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that sounds a little far fetched, or no, not at all. I mean, there's uh, there's just the idea that perhaps somehow what hotel the team was staying in got out, and yes, um, you know, 
Right, like uh, A leads to B, and somehow you recognize that, oh, this is Michael Jordan, or this is one of the bulls, at the very least, that are asking for food. Uh, right. But, uh, yeah, it um, does it change... Does it change your feelings at all about how impressive the, the, the ensuing performance was now that you know for sure it's food poisoning as opposed to the flu? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I also, you know, I heard and believed before I saw it that it was food poisoning. Um, either way, like, I don't know if you've ever had food poisoning. It, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's even whether it's the flu or not, your body is reacting to something going on inside you, and it, it sounds like he didn't really sleep that night. He was throwing up constantly. Uh, so, like for me, I'm just thinking, you know, as like a former trainer, you know, I'm like, so he has no sleep. He's incredibly dehydrated because he keeps throwing up everything that he's he's swallowing, even Gatorade or water. Um, and this is game five, right? Yeah. <laughs> game five of the NBA Finals against a really good team with the, the Utah Jazz. 2-2 two, two series uh, as well. Yeah. Um, and he kind of, you know, like most of these great games, he senses early on he's going to have to carry the team and carry the scoring load. Um, it's, it is one of the most incredible performances I've ever seen anybody do on a basketball court just with the everything working against him right and physically what he has to overcome i don't know that i can think of another athlete who has done that or maybe could do that but maybe that's not fair to say but i don't know do you know of any athlete who's played that well um well you could see after every timeout, he's just slumped over and, you know, like his skin looks, you know, kind of, kind of off. Like it, uh, it looks like chalky almost. He just, he didn't look good, you know? Right. Yeah. There, um, I'm sure there are examples. None are, none are coming to mind at the moment, but, but yeah, certainly that is at the, that is at the very top of the list. And, and yeah, it was, it was sensational. Of course, the Bulls go on to to win the the '97 Finals on that that Steve Kerr jumper uh, when when Stockton went to, to double team and then and then Steve in the in the championship parade essentially says, you know, I had to bail Michael out one more time. Um, <laughs> so I, I love Steve Kerr. That was so funny. Yeah. Um, but a, another thing that you know, moving towards the the '98 season, you know, they had the the 98 Eastern Conference Finals against the Pacers, and then, of course, the, the second go-around against the Utah Jazz in the Finals. But one of the things that was really neat, especially, again, for the for the games where they had the camera crew there, is is seeing seeing those games in, in crystal clear picture quality. I watched the, the 98 Eastern Conference Finals and, and did a podcast with, with Corbin Ford on, on that series between the Bulls and Pacers and, and watching those games while... Yeah, they're they're still fine to watch. You know, you're you're watching it in 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 480p essentially. Um, but to to see to see Reggie Miller shooting a three in in 1080p was was a sight to behold. Oh, for sure, much better quality. Um, oh yeah. The um the the other thing I loved about uh, the 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 98 Eastern Conference Finals was when 
when the, when the game was over, the Bulls uh, prevailed in that tight game seven. Jordan goes up to, to Larry Bird in the locker room and and says, uh, "Enjoy yourself, dog. You bitch. Fuck you. <laughs> you all gave us a run for our money. Now you can work on that golf game of yours." But I mean, just like the saying, "You bitch. Fuck you," in a in a like almost in a pleasant tone is uh, is I think something only Michael Jordan can do. Right. Yeah, it's uh, that was another thing. Uh, I think there's another point in the series where it's him, Larry, and Magic talking to each other and all you know talking crap to each other. And I just I love seeing that. Uh, it's it's I feel like out of respect, but if you just take that quote out of context, it's like that's really mean of you to say, Michael. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and even though Larry Bird's no longer playing, he's still trash talking him as a coach. Uh, pretty pretty good stuff. Uh, another another really funny quote uh, from from Jerry Sloan after Game Three of the '98 Finals, where the Jazz get absolutely annihilated, losing ninety six to fifty four. Uh, Jerry Sloan at the uh, at the press conference table says, uh, you know, looks at his uh, his statistics there and goes. This was actually the score? <laughs> Is this the final? <laughs> I love that. That made me laugh, yeah. That was awesome. The, um, the, the, the drama throughout the series, obviously they, they had that whole episode on Dennis Rodman and, and him leaving in the middle of the 98 season to, to take a trip to Vegas. Uh, that again, a, a lot of the drama surrounding Dennis Rodman I was unfamiliar with, and, and I was unfamiliar with... The, the drama during the finals as well, where after after game three he just he just leaves and and, and Carmen Electra I do not know for the life of me how she could say this sentence with a straight face, but but she says he took a detour from playing with the Bulls to become a wrestler with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> oh, just that sentence is amazing. Uh, took a detour yeah uh and again can you imagine can you imagine the the fanfare if if that happened in in 2020 no i i cannot (laughs) like i you know i keep saying especially after watching this uh documentary dennis rodman it would have been interesting to see jordan during the twitter era but dennis rodman I don't, I don't know. I feel like Twitter would just explode. Like, I can only imagine what he would say or what he would post. Probably some really inappropriate stuff. Um, you know, um, just leaves. Just leaves the Bulls. And the Bulls are like, we don't know where Dennis is at. Turns out he's wrestling with Hulk Hogan. And then shows up for the game and everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, I love MJ. Also referred to, referred to Rodman during this uh, during this absence as Rodzilla. Uh, Rodzilla. That was that was that was pretty good. But but yeah. So obviously we we know the rest, and uh, you know the the Bulls end up winning. But in that in that in the closing stages of that Game Six victory, where they seal the the uh, the sixth championship. 
You know, he obviously has that stretch where he scores, then he steals it from Carl Malone, coming sneaking from behind, and then he comes down the floor. And uh, they they asked uh, the directors asked Scottie Pippen, you know, what's going through your head when you're when you're coming back up the floor on that possession, and and, and Scottie responds with, "Get the hell out of the way," you know. <laughs> Get the hell out the way was the only thing I was thinking. I just I love that. But then you know, there's also the there's also the drama surrounding that final shot, that iconic moment where he 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 drives right into the towards the free throw line, then crosses back over and uses his left arm to sort of casually shove Byron Russell. Um, and and you know, obviously, people have have said for ever since that that happened that uh, it was a push off. Um, and, and Jordan actually addresses this, and, and he says, and I quote, Everybody say I pushed off. Bullshit. The man was, his energy was going that way. I didn't have to push him that way. Is that, uh, do, do you kind of agree with agree with MJ on that one? I mean, I pretty much always do. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, when, when you look at it, Russell is pretty off balance, like, you know, that whole time. I don't know if he would have, like, actually fallen over without that little kind of guiding him, you know, push, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I don't think there's any way, with when you look at Byron's momentum, that he would have been able to stop and really contest that shot. Um, and and it, it was interesting, earlier in the um, documentary where Michael's talking about Byron Russell, this is actually one of the cool quotes I remember, um, I, I don't remember verbatim but he talks about he knows that byron russell plays on the balls of his feet and because of that once you get him going in a direction he can't stop and and i was like oh my gosh that's that's brilliant and i'm sure other players have that you know down to a a t but like to to have uh you know i guess like scanned and understood a player down to like oh he plays on the balls of his feet so i can just do this and i've got an open shot every time um, but uh, what are your thoughts, though? Um, you're, I think, maybe more objective about this than I am. I mean, the the thing is, um, it, it all comes down to, and it's similar in terms of like enforcing the law, whether you take the law literally or you say, okay, what's a speed limit here for? It's not for, okay, if, um, if you go over the speed limit by one mile per hour, you're all of a sudden endangering people. The law is there to keep drivers safe, right? So I've always been more of a interpret what the law means as opposed to taking it literally. Um, so in this case, you know, you talk about, yes, he did, he did literally push him. So if you're going by the letter of the law, it is a push off. Um, but, but as Jordan is kind of saying, I think he's kind of interpreting it more from what's the meaning of the rule. And am I, am, did that push off actually help me gain an advantage and in, in that sense, I say it, it didn't. Yeah. And, and yeah, it, I marvel at, and, and again, when I was watching that 98 Eastern Conference Finals, I marvel at how low to the ground Jordan would get, even at that age on those drives, to have that, um, you know, have that uh, low center of gravity and that balance and that leg strength to get that low and that close to the ground, and, and that allows you to kind of stop on a dime and, and change your momentum so quickly while, you, you know, your opponent is still moving in the other direction. Yeah, the, uh, the Black Cat is, is one of the nicknames that he 
I, I don't know if you knew this, that, that um, like him and some of his friends would call him um, because of his like crazy cat-like, you know, agility and like balance and stuff. Um, I actually didn't notice that on that play. I'll have to go back and watch it. But yeah, he. imagine trying to guard that. You know, he's 6'6", and he's so low to the ground, and he can just stop on a dime. How do you stop that? Exactly. Yeah, you don't, essentially. That's that's the answer. <laughs> Championships is what happens, yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Of course, at the at the very end, they they, they talk about um, the the breaking up of the Bulls, and and uh, I, I'm curious to get your takeaway because Jordan essentially said, you know, if if they um, mm-hmm. if they uh, they being Jerry Krause and, and Jerry Reinsdorf, if they had uh, you know signed us all back on one year deals and 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 not basically said at the beginning of the season that the, we weren't going to bring you back that. Uh, Jordan thinks everyone would have come back. Well, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on if you think they would have, and also what sort of success would you have expected from the 1999 Chicago Bulls in a lockout-shortened season? Right. Yeah, this is it's one of the most interesting what-ifs to me. Um, not not the most interesting what-if. There's, there's a lot of other stories, but like, you know, it, I think it's I think the I think Jerry Reinsdorf and, and Jerry Krause should have brought them back. I feel like they had earned that right as um, you know they had won three in a row. Um, I guess uh, here's what I should say: like the the argument I guess goes you know from like Krause's perspective, um, other than the fact that he just hates Phil Jackson, uh, that the Bulls are getting older, right? Um, we don't want to be like the, the Boston Celtics where we hold on for too long and then we lose the ability to trade our assets for, you know, younger or, or better players or, or free up cap space or whatever. I guess my counter to that is that, you know, the the Celtics, you know, maybe they held on a little too long, but their last championship was like 86, right? Yes, and they, they made the finals and lost in 87. Yeah, so this, to me, would be like breaking them up in, like, 86. Right. Be, that's, and that's not a direct comparison, right? Like, they're, you know, the Bulls are older at that point. But, like, they just won three championships in a row. If they had lost and you're like, okay, they're definitely losing a step, then maybe break them up. Um, I guess to, to your other know part of the question though of like what what do i think their success would be or i guess would people have signed on to uh deals i don't think that you would have been able to sign everybody back i don't think it would have been the exact same team uh if you get phil jackson back and you get jordan back i'm not sure that dennis rodman comes back to be honest yeah uh, or if they would have wanted him back. I mean, he was basically on his last legs and, and really wasn't productive after that, that uh, 98 season. Right. And the disruption and everything, you know, they they probably, it would have been probably smart to get rid of him, but you would, would then have to replace him as a rebounder and a defensive force. That's why, uh, a big reason of why the Bulls lost in 95, 
is that they didn't have that presence when Horace Grant went to Orlando. So, right. Um, so I think that's one. The, the Bulls would have to replace Dennis Rodman uh, with another defensive stopper rebounder inside. Scottie Pippen, I think, likely wouldn't have come back. He was very, like, he had sat out most of that season, as we know, or the, the beginning of the season. Uh, he's so upset with management. He was so underpaid. I think Scotty would have gotten the F out of there. So then you now have to replace Scotty, or you bring back uh, an unhappy Scotty Pippen, one of the two. Um, I don't know. I feel like you, you would get Kukoc back. Kerr would have probably stayed. I don't know. I think he would have had to make some moves. Um, and I guess, uh, so I want to get your thoughts on all of this stuff, so maybe I should just say this last thing and then get your response to all of it. If, best case scenario, say Pippen signs back, everybody signs back to a one-year contract, either Rodman comes back or they sign somebody of equal talent at that stage of, of Dennis Rodman. Same team, but a year older. Um, lockout season, they only have 50 games that they have to play, correct? Right. Right. However, it was a shortened amount of time that they had to play those 50 games, right? Like, didn't they have to do more back-to-backs and stuff, or am I wrong with that? No, I, I believe you're correct. Yeah, so... I don't know how that would affect them. It's less games overall, but it might have been a more grueling s- schedule in a different way, like um, like more of a sprint than a, than a marathon. Um, and when you look at the... I, I still think they could have made it to the finals given like where the Eastern Conference was at that time, but... And maybe not. Maybe I'm just brushing over the Pacers or whatever, but the, the Spurs would have given them some problems. You got a young, very, very good, uh, you know, uh, Tim Duncan. You've got a really good David Robinson, even though he's older at that point. You got Greg Popovich, a solid Spurs team that wins the championship that year. I don't know. I don't know if the Bulls could win. I feel like I would still take that Bulls team over the 99 Knicks, personally, but I don't I wouldn't bet against Michael Jordan, but I think the Spurs could have won. Yeah, um, to, to, to speak to the, the schedule, I just looked this up. They started the season February 5th and ended the regular season in, on May 5th. So they literally played 50 games over the course of three months. Oh, wow. So, yes, lots of back-to-backs. Uh, and I'm sure maybe even a few back-to-back-to-backs thrown in there as well. Um, so, so yeah, it, uh, yeah, it's one thing to say, yeah, less games, less of a long, grueling process, but, but, you know, at that time, teams weren't, you know, doing the load management sort of stuff. Now, I imagine if, if they were doing that and, and giving guys rests on, on back-to-backs, that actually would be pretty... Um, beneficial to a, to an aging roster, but uh, yeah. you know teams weren't weren't thinking that way at that time. And and yeah, I think the Spurs with with Duncan and Robinson, 
Um, you know, again, we, we, we've talked about, you, you mentioned them losing in 95 to Orlando, a big part of that. Um, not just the fact that they, they lacked a power forward, you know, having lost Horace Grant and not yet having, acqu having acquired Dennis Rodman, but also just having to deal with an elite center. Uh, right. and, and, of course, the New York Knicks with Patrick Ewing gave the Bulls problems and, and came pretty close to beating them in, on numerous occasions. Uh, and, and there's always that what if of, oh, what if the Bulls actually played Akeem Olajuwon in the Rockets? What would have happened there? Right. Um, but the Bulls would have struggled against the likes of, of Duncan and Robinson. There's no doubt about that. Uh, so, so, yeah, it, it would have been challenging. And, and yeah, the... To, to speak to Jerry Krause in that decision, you know, you look at Dennis Rodman. He that '98 was his last productive season. That was pretty much Luke Longley's last productive season. Steve Kerr was still okay, but I would say, you know, th those couple of years were probably hit the peak of his career uh, from yeah. an individual basis as well. Um, so, you know, and and of course Scottie Pippen, you know, dealing with back issues in that '98 Finals. So there's concerns about him. He gets healthy in 2000 and has a great year with the Blazers, but outside of that, he was largely done. Uh, and then right. you talk about Jordan was 34, approaching 35. So there is a lot of there there is a lot of, of evidence to suggest that you know maybe the maybe that was actually the perfect time to just say okay this is it let's leave on top. Uh, you know everybody's on the decline and we don't have the resources to really add anybody. Um, but but at the same time, it is frustrating as sports fans. You, you mentioned it. Uh, we we have these what ifs that that we want to see come to come to uh, fruition, but that, that don't. Uh, it is frustrating to to see a team win it and and uh, not get that opportunity to to defend the title. Yeah, I mean, like a Michael Jordan only comes around, you know, like. Michael Jordan level talent, maybe, you know, depending on how you feel about it, like, if you think he's the greatest ever, like I do, he's only come around once, right? Um, you, you don't get that type of talent very often. And so to, it seems really sad to me to just be like, oh, well, he's just not going to play. And we're just not going to think anything less of it. Like, I would, you would at least think as an organization that you would try to do something to keep him. Right, and Jerry Reinsdorf, and I don't know if you felt this, but like his responses, he seemed kind of like, uh, what's the word, like aloof, detached, like he was just kind of like, yeah, I asked Phil if he wanted to come back, and he said no, and I didn't really talk to Jordan, it's just like, how are you not, why don't you, I know you have a lot of money, but like, can you care a little bit right now? Yeah. Like, you've got Michael Jordan on your team, just, just try and keep Michael, Phil, and and uh, Scotty, and just try and build around that if you could. Like, but I don't know. I don't know the, where the league is at if that's possible. But like, I can imagine a scenario where you keep those three and you still have a fairly competitive team. You know, and even if with a grueling schedule, if there's any aging player in that era that I would bet on being able to withstand that and still play at an elite level. It would be Michael Jordan, right? Yeah. If, if he's able to play through the flu, right, and he's able to, you know, after not playing for like three years and play at it, you know, not quite elite 
but a you know pretty good level with Washington at least until he you know hurts his knee and has to get surgery. Um, I I think they've got a chance. And for me as a competitor and as a fan of Michael Jordan, I would have liked to at least see that chance. And then if they lose, then you rebuild. Um, and, and maybe you don't get as much assets or whatever. But, you know, like um, Jordan even says uh, at the beginning of the documentary, the Cubs have been rebuilding for like 44 years. right? And they, <laughs> yeah. only, they only recently, a few years ago, actually won a World Series. The Bulls have not been back to the final since. They got close with Derrick Rose, um, but, you know, obviously couldn't get there. So even with this rebuilding, you didn't make it. So I would rather bet on, you know, we got a team that just won it last year. Maybe that magic will get us through this year. Maybe that, like, the Raptors energy, that championship energy will carry us there and we'll get lucky. Um, Because I think once you don't have a championship team, it's really hard to rebuild another one. Absolutely. The concern too, you know, obviously with 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 Scottie Pippen and and whether he he could uh, he would sign a one year deal. I mean, in in my mind, sign him to a four year contract. I mean, it's uh, uh, they 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 did the Bulls did eventually sign Scottie to essentially a thank you contract, and I believe it was two thousand two or two thousand three. So uh-huh. you you end up giving the guy money later anyway. Why not just, while he's still pretty good as a player, just give him a four-year deal. Um, Just give him the money that uh, he probably deserved, or not even probably, he did deserve from his previous contract where you got him on a a cheap seven-year deal. Uh, So, yeah, in my mind, um, I think if you actually pay Scottie Pippen and you bring the the crew back to to go for, as as Jordan said, a, a seventh, I think Scotty returns. The other thing, you know, in, in, in regards to a rebuild is it's one thing like with, with Danny Ainge, how he did it with the Celtics, where the, he rebuilt it after the Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce teams. Yeah. He was able to trade Kevin Garnett and, and Paul Pierce and get this haul of great draft picks, which turned into Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. It's one thing if you can, yes, actually not re-signing these guys means you can get some assets for them. That actually is beneficial towards rebuilding and, and starting over. But if you're just letting guys walk, if they're just unrestricted free agents and they'll be gone and there's nothing to show for that, and also because you've just won a championship, you obviously don't have a good draft pick. Uh, that sets your franchise back in terms of, okay, this rebuild is going to have to take multiple years even to get off the ground. Yeah, it, it just it doesn't make sense to me. I think they win, like, what, 22 games or something the next year. It It's almost like Krauss wanted a, a, a challenge to, like, prove to everybody I'm the greatest GM uh, of all time, which, you know, it sounds like he's up there in terms of building those those dynasties, uh, but, like, man, like, it just, it doesn't make, like, what do you think? You, you've thought about this a lot more. I always play the individual modes, like my career modes on NBA 2K, and back when you were playing that game, you were always doing the more, like, team-building stuff and draft picks and, um, like, 
Am I crazy for thinking that Reinsdorf and Kraus just completely mishandled um, the situation? Like, either resign them or get some assets. And it sounds like they just lost a bunch of people. Yeah, I guess the, yeah. the, the challenge with knowing if they really sort of mishandled or bungled the situation would be... Um, you know, we, we would have to know the result if they went the other way. Like, do the Bulls actually win in 99, or do they come close even? Um, but, but yes, even just for the fact of, like, ticket revenue and, and those sorts of things, just your value of a, as a franchise the following season. The Bulls, uh, I just looked at this as well, went 13-37 and 37 in the lockout-shortened year. Um, you know, you lose some, some short-term value as well, I suppose when you go thirteen and thirty-seven, you get a uh, you get a good draft pick then, and 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 that's probably what Kraus is thinking is that the sooner that we're bad, the sooner we can sort of get back going in the right direction. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's questionable, uh, but but yeah, there's certainly also some evidence that that Jerry Kraus was was a was a really excellent general manager, figuring out all those pieces that built the dynasty. And, um, you know, the same guy that was there to, to build it, maybe he was the best person to be in position to know when it needed to be torn down. But, but throughout the documentary, they, they, uh, they kind of showed him and, and his personality and that he always felt like he wasn't getting as much credit as he deserved. And he kind of felt like that, uh, oh, and there was the whole comment he had of, like, organizations win championships, um... So there is this element throughout the series that you see that, yeah, this guy does have a bit of an ego. He is a bit jealous of the attention that the players get that he isn't getting. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're very easily, you know, some of this explanation could very easily be that, yeah, I'm, I'm an arrogant guy and, and these guys have maybe rubbed me the wrong way recently. So I'm going to, to show everyone what I'm capable of. Yeah. Speaking of Kobe, apparently he had a, a film crew follow him around for his final season. Of course, the, the Lakers were, were terrible that year, so there won't be nearly as much drama as the, the last dance season, but that still would be, would be something I would be interested in, in seeing and, and getting some more, uh, some more Kobe content. Of course, you know, as, as he passed, I was just uh, I spent weeks just uh, getting up and immediately thinking of Kobe and, and, and finding some of his content. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to get some of your takes just of the series as a whole. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming just because of how big of a Jordan fan you are, just because Jordan is in it, the series automatically gets a 10 out of 10. Uh, but uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the series as a whole and also, um, you know, maybe what were some things that 
that uh, that you may have noticed that you would have liked the the the, the show to have done better, or, or some of the things the show excluded from from the ten hours that we got. Yeah. Um, uh, unfortunately, you're correct, and I, I hate that you're correct about that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's having that much Jordan in a thing is pretty much a ten out of ten. I I think it was really well done. I I really liked. Um, the stories that they were able to tell, it was really cool to get that behind-the-scenes footage in the locker room. Like, that's stuff I've never, never seen before with an NBA team. Um, that was really, really cool. Um, and to, to get some answers to some of these questions, um, you know, about why the Bulls broke up and, you know, what was going on with them. And um, it makes me appreciate even more what they were able to to accomplish seeing how much drama <laughs> uh, and craziness surrounded this team. Um, but the stuff I would like to see, I think, I think Horace Grant and Tony Kukoc got the shaft a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, they were huge parts of, of both, uh, you know, Horace Grant with the first three feet, uh, Tony with the second one, but like they they really just don't talk about Horace Grant that much at all. They're just like, yeah, he was there, uh, and then he was on Orlando. And Coach, I think more than anybody, gets um, shown in a, in a really negative light. First of all, our introduction to him is not him as this legendary player in, in Europe or in Croatia, right, as he was. It's this is him getting destroyed by like, the dream team, um, and then you know he, he he plays a little bit, and then uh, I mean I, I I'll say this, and then I want to hear your thoughts um, during that whole situation where Scotty Pippen, with one of his biggest blunders, decides not to go back in the game, you know, because he thinks he should get the last shot, and Tony makes the shot. I've always seen that portrayed as like, holy crap, Tony coming up big, actually making a, a game-winning shot. That's crazy. And Tony is almost like defensive. He's like, well, I did make a lot of game winners earlier <laughs> in the year. And they show this montage of him hitting like four or five game winners throughout the year. It's like, oh, shoot. Like, this guy, maybe if he's not playing with Jordan and Pippen, would have been like this all-star caliber player because he actually would have gotten the touches. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean the right there was yeah there was this uh, approach with both Ku Coach and Grant where yeah the introduction to them is basically a negative. Yeah, you you brought up the Ku Coach thing with the Dream Team and and Jordan and Pippen basically because they hate Kraus wanna wanna show that Ku Coach is no good essentially. Yeah. Uh, and then with Grant, it was that whole thing about the the Sam Smith book, and that Grant was um, Grant was considered this guy that was a traitor, essentially that uh, um, that that told all the Bulls players secrets. Uh, and yeah, so it was a little bit weird. And in, and then yeah, there wasn't enough about like the the the, the positive things that they did. Of course, Kukoc in the second three-peat was a huge player, and and especially in that 98 series against Indiana, he was 
he was critical. You know, the Bulls don't beat the Pacers and win that third title. They don't, probably don't win any of those three titles without Tony Kukoc. Um, and, and, and Horace Grant, you know, the, everyone talks about the second three-peat being the, the best version of the Bulls, but um, there's an argument that the, the team with Horace Grant was, was even better. Um, especially that ninety, the ninety-two team, I believe, won sixty-seven games. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm in com- I'm in complete total agreement with you that they they kind of got the the short end of the stick there. Um, the the other couple of notes that I had as far as some exclusions that were frustrating was, you know, they they showed Jordan beating the Cavs in in '89 with the shot. But they didn't show the series where they, he beat the Cavs in 88, where he went for 50 in games one and two. They didn't show the 1992 Eastern Conference Finals, uh, which was a pretty good series. The Cavs won a couple of games. It was a competitive series. Uh, and, and Jordan beat that Cavs team four times in a six-season span between the 1987-88 season and the 92-93 season. I mean, he basically ruined that uh, generation of, of a Cavs team that was excellent. And then there also was the, the Knicks as well. You know, they, they showed the, that 93 series where the Knicks were up 2-0 and then, and then blew that series in the next four games. But that was another team. The, Jordan beat the Knicks five times in an eight-year span. So he, he really, um, you know, he really destroyed that Patrick Ewing era, Knicks group as well. And and I get for, you know, the casual fans out there, they don't want to be showing four series against the same team because then maybe people would get confused. But it didn't illustrate enough how this single player and this uh, Chicago Bulls dynasty basically just completely destroyed a couple of other franchises. That's a really good point. Um, you know, one of the things I was going to say was them, uh, which I think you you did a better job of, of going into this. I was annoyed that they didn't show um, Jordan's, uh, how good Jordan was from like 87, 88, 80, 89. You know, like they, um, I think it could be argued that his best, one of his best seasons is, is 88. You could argue it's his best season with his defensive, offensive, and then being MVP and everything. But you're, you're totally right. I think that would have added a lot to the story to show that dominance and not just write it off as like, yeah, the Cavs, you know, uh, sucked, but, you know, they were actually good when he played. Like, no, actually show them because that was a big part of, of like when Jordan says you didn't go through what I go I went through, show what he went through, <laughs> you know, show right. the, the grueling part of it. Um, yeah, that's a really good point because the and now that you say it, it's almost like they're they have something against the Cavs that they're just like, yeah, we're just not going to show that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. Uh, um, yeah, at times the the. The documentary, even though Jordan had like you know some some pretty, um, he he had like final say in terms of the documentary even getting made. So I'm sure he had a lot of say in the in the actual process of of what's in there and what's not. Um, but yeah, there were even times where it felt like you could do more to kind of show 
why he is considered the greatest of all time. But then there was also, on the flip side of that, there were moments where you're thinking, okay, you know, in the 1992 finals, they don't show the fact that in Game 6, the clinching win, uh, the Bulls make this great comeback in the fourth quarter, largely with Jordan on the bench. Right. Um, and then in, in, in that 93 Knicks series, when the when the Bulls are down 0-2 and, and people are, um, you know, talking about the, the gambling allegations, everyone just said, well, Jordan came back and responded. But actually, in Game 3, he shot 3 of 18, and his teammates had a, uh, you know, a terrific performance from Scottie Pippen to Horace Grant that really carried them and, and got them back in the series. So, you know, it, it goes both ways, I suppose. Sometimes there there wasn't enough showing Jordan's greatness, and other times there were some times where it was, an, and obviously with the not showing the Wizards years, there was some selection bias as well. Right, yeah. I, I think it would have been, and I don't know why it had to be 10 episodes, you know what I mean? Like, maybe that's just what the deal was, but, like, if you have that much footage, um, you know, and I never made a documentary right I, so i'm not i don't want to criticize too much and i really i do think it's really good um i wonder if there was a way to tell that story while also you know telling the full story right because it, it does change the narrative a little bit and um you know like just to show it in full i think when you still when you show the full picture and showing how good the bulls sometimes were when Jordan was struggling, you still get the sense, like, yeah, Jordan was still the best, um, or, or one of the best. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, if, uh, if anything uh, that, that's come from this, I have noticed some people on uh, on Twitter already basically proclaiming uh, they were a LeBron James uh, is the GOAT believer before this, and, and they've changed their mind now, so I'm sure that makes you happy hearing that. Uh, a little bit. I just, I think more than anything, what annoyed me was that I would be like, look, it's it's a conversation, right? Even if you don't agree, you know, that Jordan is the best, I'm more interested in your reasons why. You know, like, if you think Kareem's the best, what are your reasons why? Like, that's, that's really cool. I can accept that if you've got good rationale behind it. But it, it's when people are like, Jordan just, like, athletes are just better now, and Jordan's just not as good. You know, LeBron's just better in everything. And I'm like, that's not true, <laughs> you know? LeBron is better in some ways, for sure. But, like, um, so I'm, I'm hoping at the very least we can have a better conversation about it overall and not just be either way, like, too much uninformed saying Jordan is the best or uninformed saying LeBron is the best. You know what I mean? Right. That uh, yeah. Hopefully, this helped a little bit with the with the recency bias. That that more people actually that are that are saying LeBron was the best actually know the credentials of Jordan. Uh, that's the right. that's the least you can do when you when you go into these discussions. But uh, if if our listeners want to hear us debate LeBron versus MJ, we've uh, we've spent about uh, three or four hours of podcast time discussing that. So they can go back into the archives and and check that out, Anthony. This was uh, this was a, a great time chatting with you, and uh, thanks so much for 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 coming on. Thanks for having me again, man. I'm I'm really glad that uh you know was able to get the time to hang out with you and talk about basketball again. 
uh, amidst everything, the craziness going on in the world right now. Um, and excited, hopefully, to do this again, you know, sometime fairly soon now that I'm not in uh, grad school anymore. We'll see. Absolutely. You're, uh, you will always have a, a seat at the table when it comes to Duncan Dynasty. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay, that's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, MBA thoughts as well as some some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television. So uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he uh, he does a d- does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. Uh, Corbin also is the site expert for the fan-sided website Valley of the Sun, which talks all things Phoenix Suns. So you can check out uh, what he's doing there. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for for listening and have a great rest of your day.